You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 270 of Podcateers. This week, we get a recap of the Haunted Mansion event that Gavin attended. We talk about the upcoming Oogie Boogie Bash at California Adventure. Plus, Gavin tells us some of the history of Disney's true life adventures, which would ultimately become the Disney Nature Film Series. Remember that you can join the conversation by connecting with us on any of our social networks. Just search for Podcateers on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts on anything that we talk about and share them in an upcoming episode. Remember that you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash We hope that you hit that subscribe button and ring that bell icon for notifications of when new videos are posted. This episode of Podcateers has been made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you called the FGP Squad, also known as our Podcast Fairy Godparents, because it's their monthly contributions via Patreon that help produce these episodes of Podcateers. If you like the podcast, it's a great time to become part of the FGP Squad. We have giveaways and more special content coming up, so if you'd like more info, a link to sign up, or even make a one-time donation, you can go to podcateers.com FGP. To all of the members of the FGP Squad, we just want to say thank you for your continued support. All right, it's time to do this podcast thing. So here is episode 270 of Podcateers. All right. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the Podcateers podcast. I am your host, your not-so-ghost host, (laughs) Kindly step over towards your speakers and listen if you dare. (laughs) I mean, I got got nothing else. That was perfect. I mean, (laughs) I like it. I mean, you know, but I mean, I have been dying to hear about your evening at this 50th anniversary celebration. Because look, man, (laughs) I was there on the day of the anniversary. I got a chance to ride the mansion and I got a story about trying to get me some merch that day that I'm going to tell you guys later. But this event, dude, I've been watching videos. I saw posts on Instagram and I mean, it was 300 bucks to get in, right? Per person. Yes. It was a $300 ticket. So at the end, the question will be, was it worth it? I want you to save the answer until you tell us about it. But I know that it was a whole thing. Like you had to go through registration and everything. So walk us through Gavin's evening of frightfully goodness. Okay. Or ghoulish delights. Okay. So very well done. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. I I like it. Goosebumps. I like it. Well, uh, the day started uh, for this happy haunt at about 10 a.m. And uh, that's when I arrived at the Disneyland Hotel. So they had a whole day-long event over at the hotel first. Uh, The process began, as you mentioned, with registration. So you went upstairs to a hall where they had set up just a whole ton of photo ops. Like they had mansion-inspired props. They had backdrops. They had famous art and illustrations like blown up really big. They had like the new shag art uh, as big backdrops. And you could get your photographs in front of any of it. It was fully staffed. Every single photo op had its own photo pass photographer in front of it. So easy, quick uh, run through of all that. 
they had a big room which was kind of like a waiting room where they had kind of created the facade of the mansion and they had um replicas of the stretching room portraits down one wall and so like everywhere you went in this like pre-registration area was just <clears throat> photo ops everywhere it was awesome the front gate of the mansion i think was one of the coolest ones oh yeah it was really cool like the, the okay so you saw like the the green metal like scrolly metal work yes. from the railings right yes, the iron that work. was it was actually metal that's like, it wasn't awesome. like cardboard Whoa. like it wasn't a set like it was real like real it was Ooh. awesome yeah so being there was even more authentic uh, and then, like, as you went through that, through the door of the mansion facade, uh, was a, a corridor. And I'm sure you've all seen videos of this, like, corridor of windows with wispy curtains, mm-hmm. like tattered curtains blowing in the wind. And they had lightning strikes. And you'd look at the end of the hall and you could see the silhouette of the bride passing by the window. And it just kind of got you in the mood, right? It really got you in the mood. And so then, like, you'd pass through all of that to get to the registration. And the registration was a really cool, quick, easy process. They had it really uh, well organized by day two. I went to the second event of the two, and I heard that there were some efficiency issues on the first day. But they seemed to have gotten that all worked out by the second day. So my experience was pretty seamless. Uh, so there, uh, at the registration is where we got our lanyards, uh, for the event and also a wristband, which is what actually got us into the event, um, along with a ticket that got us through the turnstiles. Um, and then one final thing they gave us there was our party gift. And the gift that we got was super awesome. Uh, came in a little beautiful little black box with gold stamp on it of that cool 50th anniversary logo on it and inside was this incredible madame leota paperweight yeah i love it so cool i have to tell you it was the perfect thing for me to get because where my desk is is the patio door and we open it all the time and and we open the door on the other side of the apartment and the cross breeze comes through my studio but my papers fly off my desk, and I've been desperately looking for a cool paperweight. So this came at the perfect time. Wait a second. Uh, you mean the brick I offered was not good enough for you? Functionally, <laughs> it was great. Aesthetically, not so much. I get that. I get that. <laughs> so anyway, I was thrilled. The, the gift is awesome. Um, from there, you could proceed to the shopping area. So there's this huge hall filled with all of the exclusive merchandise, including all of the brand new artwork, which all of the Disney artists were releasing for the 50th anniversary. So guests got the first crack at all of this art. Um, and then there was also a lot of event exclusive merchandise. And basically, they made a limited amount of all of that. If there was anything left over, they were going to push it to the stores within the parks, uh, which they Quick they did with some you. of that stuff. Yeah. So was your event day on the actual mansion anniversary? Yes, I was on the second day, which started on the 8th and ended on the 9th. Yeah. Okay, because I have some comments about that merchandising stuff that you just mentioned, so... Cool. Okay. Cool. All right. Keep I, going. I, I probably do too. <laughs> anyway, lots and lots of cool stuff. I mean, honestly, I could have spent hundreds, possibly thousands of dollars there. Um, and that's I mean, just there for were one some, item. 
Yeah, there were some high ticket items. There was a guitar that was for thirty three thousand dollars. Oh there, wow, so. they are gorgeous. They're currently at Wonderground. Oh yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. Um, there was some really cool, like unique, like one of a kind of items. Lots of new merchandise which I'd never seen before. Like uh, we've probably all seen uh, Madame Leota's like jars of haunts or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, those were really cool in person. You know, just. Man, just lots and lots of cool stuff. So I was there for one main purpose, and that was to get Jeremy Fulton's new Haunted Mansion piece. Uh-huh. Um, we, at listeners of the show, know that um, we uh, we love Jeremy Fulton and his work, and uh, I, I had to jump on this because he was a late addition to this event. He wasn't on the original lineup. Um, so they announced that he would be there. So I finally, at long last, got to meet Jeremy Fulton, uh, got to have a great conversation with him. I felt really bad because a line of people started stacking up behind me, but he was super generous with his time, gave me like 20 minutes and we just, we just talked and we talked about art and we talked about the mansion and man, he's just such a cool dude. It was great to talk to him. Look, dude. I don't blame you because, one, he's an amazing artist. Two, super cool dude. Three, that's like a once in every 50 years opportunity, okay? To talk to him about his art (laughs) on the the mansion's birthday? Come on. It was cool. And he had this whole, uh, like, stack of sketch papers with him um, showing, like, all his original, like, sketched out ideas and, like, his scrawled out lettering and, like, the mapping of of his pieces, including the Haunted Mansion piece. And it was just so cool to see his process and and hear him talk about that. Um, But not to get sidetracked, the event... um, so in that was in the artist signing area where they had like 15, maybe more artists in this big room. Um, they had it really well organized where you'd go in, you'd go over to the station where cast members would remove all your prints from the plastic and walk you to the table where you were getting it signed. Um, and then they would repackage it for you at the end. Um, it was it was really well organized. It was super cool. So that was exciting. And that was kind of what was going on at the hotel all day long. Um, So you could kind of come and go as you pleased. It was kind of an open house, you know, so like I went at about 10 a.m. in the morning and then Charlie joined me later in the evening. And I think she got there around 5 p.m. and we kind of went in and did it all over again a second time. Uh, So that was kind of cool that you could kind of come and go. But then the the second half of the event, as we all know, was in the parks. Mm-hmm. And this was um, one of the things that you got for your um, event ticket was admission to the park after closing until 4 a.m. Now, I will say that most of us had a different understanding of the amount of time we would get in the park than we ended up getting ultimately. Um, w- they basically had us start queuing up in the Esplanade at 11:30, and from there we were moved to various stages in towards the left or west side of Disneyland, which is the half of Disneyland that was going to be open for the event. Uh, and eventually they did the event rope drop at 1 a.m. So we didn't actually get to go into the park technically until 1 a.m., which leaves three hours. 
uh, which is quite a bit of time when you've only got a thousand people scattered throughout half of Disneyland and all of the attractions in that half of Disneyland are open. So um, the initial experience that we had was basically walking right onto any ride we wanted to, which was amazing. Uh, so we would walk, we, like we walked all the way up and like walked, literally walked right onto a car on Indy, like didn't have to stop, didn't anything. Like we walked on, we got on with like two other people and then they just let us ride it twice in a row. Nice. Ridiculous. Right. Like totally awesome. awesome. So like that was the cool part about it. Um, initially the second cool thing was. If anybody's been to one of the Mickey's Halloween parties, they know that they kind of relight the whole park and they play Halloween music. Well, they did that for this event, but even better. They had the lighting. They had the fog rolling out over the rivers of America. But the music was much more mansion-y, much more creepy. It was all organ and harpsichord Mm -hmm. and really haunting music. And then every once in a while, the ghost hosts from various parts of the park would all of a sudden come across and give you a message. And like he was everywhere, bouncing all over the park. So you never knew when you were going to hear the ghost hosts. And they added strobe effects for lightning strikes throughout the park which was super, super cool. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed that part. Um, we got to see the Cadaver Dans perform. Uh, we saw them actually like one and a half times. Um, they were performing from the balcony of 21 Royal or the old Dream Suite, which was kind of a unique spot for them because usually they're on a raft on the river. We kind of saw part of the opening show, so I can't really speak about that, but they did like a big opening show like to awaken all the haunts or whatever. The 13th hour. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but throughout the night, like all of those haunts would like kind of parade through the land. Like you'd see them kind of in like a New Orleans style, like jazzy funeral march, like come through the land, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so... Like, as far as all of that goes, um, I thought it was really well done. You know, we were kind of focused on the rides because we're attractions people. So we wanted to get on all the rides. And of course, that includes the Haunted Mansion itself. And oh boy, let me tell you. If you haven't heard, they inserted surprises into the attraction, Mm -hmm. which were freaking awesome Mm -hmm. so what they did basically is they put live cast members into the ride at various points to incredibly awesome effects the first one happens right off the bat as you swing around the corner and you're looking at the endless corridor you've got the standard suit of armor to the right and a brand new suit of armor to the left (laughs) and that suit of armor would jump out and scare you. And it was so awesome. Which is a callback uh, to the original. Yes. You know, which yes. I thought was a brilliant touch. Oh, yeah. Also, it was so good. Having them on the left side further back to make sure that nobody punched them. Also a good touch. Yeah, it was, it was very smart. Yeah. <laughs> but whoever was in that suit performing was so good because they would do like an extreme move and then just instantly freeze and hold position 
it was unbelievable how good they were. They were, they were really good. So the next surprise that we had was in the ballroom scene uh, with the swinging wake at the table where all the ghosts are appearing as the one ghost is blowing out the candles on the cake uh, was a, a live ghost sitting there amongst them. And that ghost was really kind of funny because uh, that ghost was trying to like get the other ghosts to notice him and like get get the other ghosts to communicate with him. And he looked really frustrated. Like, don't you, <laughs> don't you guys see me either? Like, it was really funny the way he was doing it. So... That was really cool. And then uh, the the final one was with the hitchhiking ghosts. Um, and basically, I can never remember their names, but the, the, the short one that's Harry that looks like Cousin It. Gus? What's his, Gus. Is that Gus? Okay, uh-huh. Gus. Uh, they used a live character for Gus. And he was Sweet. kind of in front of the other two, like really up close to you, like hitching for a ride and so that was that was really really cool to see i thought there was one more in the ballroom one of the dancers was also alive like there was a cast member in the ballroom as well oh there might have been like there's so much going on in that scene Uh, i can imagine that i i missed that um but i i kept looking at the one at the table because i i loved the way he was kind of comically acting it yeah. Um, so that may be. I, I may have missed the the other one in there. But man, what a cool, cool uh, treat, you know? Because that was a truly kind of exclusive experience, you yeah. know? Like we talked about, um, you know, maybe they'll insert a new character into the mansion and we'll be the first to see it, and that'd be really cool. Like if they stuck the Candleman in there and and it just became a part of the mansion. But you know, the next day, then everybody gets to see it. This was a truly exclusive thing where only the people at the event got to see this happen. Right. And it was it was really kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, the other part of the event was they I mentioned at registration they gave us lanyards. The lanyards were like a food festival lanyard with four tabs on them. And that got you a chance to get four different um, event items. Uh, there was one for graveyard snacks, one for haunting hors d'oeuvres, one for ravenous desserts, and one for tempting beverages. And we had, between the two of us, we had eight tabs. And this was one of the only disappointing things is that because of the, the limited window of time we had, which was three hours, we only got to use five out of our eight tabs. Uh, we were running around desperately trying to spend the last couple of them right at the end, but man, oh man, when 4am rolled around, everything shut down. I mean, they just locked it down immediately. So, uh, you know, we had to, you know, just eat those three tabs basically. Maybe Um, you shouldn't have gone on Indy seven times. Ah, but it was so good, man. We could just walk right on. And it was funny because the last time we went, I was I was like, okay, if they ask us to go again, do we say yes or do we try and get these last tabs spent? And we just – we said yes and they let us ride again. And then when we got off, we're like, dang it, no more foods are open. It was terrible. Uh, but uh, we got some – Great freaking food, man. Like, it was all event exclusive stuff. Um, 
it was really, really cool. Uh, I think my favorite thing that I got was one of the desserts. I got the um, the Doom Buggy Sunday from the Golden Horseshoe. Nice. And, oh, it was so good. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. Uh, but basically, that is the long and short of it. I had a good time. Uh, it was a long uh, event. So I feel like, for the most part, I got my money's worth out of it. I think the biggest disappointment was, I think the big carrot that was dangled out there was the time in the park after closing. And that ended up being such a small uh, window of time. You know, I I think we're all used to like the the Mickey's Halloween party where it's like from six to midnight or something. You know, it's a long time. And uh, this was only three hours. So it felt like it went by really, really fast. Um, like I said, we didn't have enough time to spend all of our food tabs. Um, we didn't get to go on all of the attractions that were open, but we got to go on, uh, many of them. Uh, we got to see some good entertainment, but I think a lot of it was paying for the chance to buy exclusive merchandise Mm. was, you know, a big a big part of this and, you know, not being one who wants to spend, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars on lots and lots of merchandise. Like, you know, I'm not huge on all that. Uh, I was a little disappointed by that because I wanted more. I really wanted more park time. Yeah. So to go ahead and answer your question at that, you asked at the beginning, was this worth $300? Yes. Oh, with a question <laughs> mark. I'll say it. Oh, with a question mark. Yeah. yeah, it was a, I, yeah. I, I did enjoy it. Um, you know, I had a lot of fun. I think maybe if I had wanted to buy more merchandise, it would be a definite yes. But, um, you know, I wasn't into the merchandise as much. I had the one piece of art that I wanted. I got that. I got to talk to one of my artistic heroes. That was great. Um, but three hundred dollars, I don't know. I don't know if I'd pay that again. Interesting. Um, you know, but it was a really cool thing. You know, that the the mansion experience itself with the the surprises they put in there. Um, you know, getting that cool after hours access, which is a super rare thing, was awesome. Yeah. Um, so I mean, all in all, I think I would give it like a seven or eight out of ten. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I so I obviously I didn't get a chance to go, right? Uh, $300 I think was a little steep for this type of event. Yes. Knowing what went into it, I may have tried to find a way to pay for this if I knew yeah. in advance what was going to happen. Uh again, I've seen all of the videos, right? And mm-hmm. I think I would have gone into this with a slightly different mindset than you did because for instance, uh, I, I know I joked about writing indie seven times, but how many times did you actually write indie? Um, three or four. Okay. I don't remember exactly. So I like indie, but I could have given two fooies about writing indie that day. 
I would have been <laughs> exclusively in New Orleans Square, watching yeah. the cotillion, watching the parade, experiencing the ghost host. I would have been glued to the Rivers of America watching the 13th sure. hour show because yeah. the way that they had the clock and the 13 and the shadow and Silas come out and just, you know, start doing the narration. And then Madame mm-hmm. Leota with the cadaver dance. I mean, it was one of those things that, one, I would have obviously been trying to vlog, right? That's just sure, that's sure. just me. But also having the opportunity to see that, I would have just been absolutely geeking out. Like you yeah. said, the music that was playing, unlike the, we did the mesh, we did the monster mesh. <laughs> exactly. During Mickey's Halloween versus the organs and everything oh, that yeah. was going on. Was really dude, cool. I was getting goosebumps watching people's videos on YouTube about yeah. this event, okay? To see the mansion in full purple and blue lighting, oh, it yeah. looked that was cool. gorgeous. Yeah, I no, had it was. photographers envy yeah. looking at how beautifully lit the mansion was. Yeah. Then to hear the spiel and everything as people are going down in the stretching room, and then to see the giant fiftieth logo in the loading area of the Doom buggies, I mm-hmm. lost it. Okay, <laughs> then I see the night, and then I see the the Easter eggs in the ballroom, and then I see the hitchhiking ghost thing that they did, and again, I lost it, and so <laughs> I just kept thinking, damn, maybe I would have been okay with spending three hundred dollars yeah. for this, and well, uh, and you could have made that decision up until that day because there were still tickets. Left. I heard that there was tickets <laughs> left, and that's yeah. actually part of the next thing that I wanted to bring up that. Uh, I don't know if this was just a test for them because 300 bucks is pretty steep for just three hours of event time, you know, but it was the whole day of event time over at the hotel too. for merchandise. Like you said, yeah, but also artist signings. Yeah. But again, I mean, they've had other artists that, you know, aren't part of 300 bucks. Sure. Sure. But the thing is though, nothing has, a culture and fandom like Haunted Mansion. They couldn't do this with anything else. You know, I, I told Jeremy when I was talking to him, I was like, I'm really disappointed they didn't do this with Pirates two years ago. And he was like, I know. But I, I, I just don't think even with Pirates, there's enough of a cult following uh, yeah. to pull off an event like this. You know, yeah. I really don't. I think Mansion is the only thing they could do this with. So... I mean, if this is a test, a test for what? Like, what What else would they do? To see how much they could charge for an event. Because they tried to do it with the Pixar Pier opening, right? Yeah, and, and they failed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but obviously they tried to do it with a better attraction and something sure. more meaningful. And I think it was a little more fruitful than the Pixar Pier thing was. Yeah. But either yeah. way, the fact that there was still tickets available up until the day of the event meant a lot that... You know, I've read several articles about how people are starting to get really frustrated about the prices at the park. And there was an interesting headline in the OC register that said something along the lines of, has Disneyland finally found the cap guests and APs are willing to to not cross anymore? Mm -hmm. And I think if we haven't officially gotten there, it's just a hair away. You know, and the fact that this event with the magnitude of how popular the mansion is, the fact that it wasn't sold out 
kind of shows that. And we've seen a lot of that over the summer with what's been happening with the opening of Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I feel like there's another factor in this case because after the initial like push and then like the day that tickets went on sale, I never saw it like marketed as, Hey, we've still got tickets. Tickets are available. Come buy tickets. Like I think most people assumed it sold out that morning. I did until like a couple weeks later, I heard that there were still tickets. I never saw them pushing it. Did you buy your tickets on your phone? On my phone? Yeah. I bought them. No, I bought them on a, on a PC. Okay. Uh, well, you desktop computer. The reason I'm asking is because I constantly saw those ads advertising it. And so I think on somehow what, on, on my phone, on, like on Instagram, I saw them in advertisements Facebook, sure. and Facebook. So I never yeah. saw a single advertisement At some advertisement point, for I it. think you had a cookie dropped knowing that you already purchased tickets and they didn't have to advertise it to you. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Well, then, yeah, that, that then your point stands for sure. Um, and, and that kind of segues into the final uh, thing I wanted to mention. I wanted to talk a minute about the the party crowd uh, that was at this event. I was both um, totally stoked and completely disappointed in the crowd that was there. Oh, no. So I was totally stoked because at $300 a pop, nobody's buying their kids tickets. So it was a kid-free, stroller-free experience in the park, <laughs> which was kind of <laughs> magical. Sorry, kids. Sorry, parents. I know. I'm one of those dinks. Go no give kids. them some chicken nuggets. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it was awesome. It was really cool. But on the other hand, I assumed that because this was going to be like what I would consider like true fans of the mansion, people who love and respect it, when we rode the mansion, people would shut the heck up, shut off their flash photography, no. respect it and enjoy it. And no, people were rowdy. People were screaming the dialogue at the top of their lungs. It was a joke. Like it was, it, it was kind of hard to enjoy certain parts because of that. And I was really disappointed by that. And I think it really kind of speaks to where we are today as a Disney culture, especially at Disneyland. Yeah. Um, people don't have the same sort of uh, respect uh, for the experience because it's old hat. It's their daily activity. It's where they just hang out. And, I, and it spilled over to this event. And I'm really shocked about that. Um, so, you know, I felt like the park staff did a really good job of putting this event on for the most part, but it was the people attending that I was most disappointed in. I, I, I was really, really surprised by it because I thought, you know, I'd get to have that unadulterated, silent experience on the mansion and I, and I just didn't get it. That That's really disappointing. disappointing. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're saying this and I'm here like in disbelief covering my mouth like what mm -hmm. you know as a hardcore fan of the mansion you know you would want to cherish everything especially because you paid big bucks for it so yeah, to hear absolutely. that people were doing this i mean really <laughs> yeah so uh 
I, I know I've said on the show before that I typically don't get AP exclusive merchandise because it always says like annual pass holder, like in big giant letters over it. And it kind of ruins the design for me. Mm-hmm. But I did get an AP exclusive piece of merchandise at the store. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's this going our way pin. <gasps> Nice. Which has a little crystal at the top with Madame Leota in it and hitchhiking ghosts. But I freaking love this pin because we'll have to put a picture in the blog post because it's a mansion design, but it's all in black and red, which yeah. is totally unusual for the mansion. And yeah. I just thought it was really cool. Uh, it's a beautiful design. It's got a very tiny little pass holder word on it. So it's not conspicuous, but I, I did get that. And I'm very <laughs> Very excited about it. That's awesome. I got one of the AP pins as well. It's the one with the three hitchhiking ghosts on it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I ended up getting one of those too. Uh, So I want to shift a little into the merchandise stuff because I have a a story about going to the park specifically for that. Um, But just uh, to finalize what I was saying earlier, outside of what you just said, you know, the the rowdiness of the crowd and stuff like that, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are very respectful when they vlog, you know, and I try to keep that mindset when I'm vlogging and when I'm recording something, I try not to have lights on and stuff like that, especially something that's going to ruin the show or an illusion for somebody. But I think there's others that get that rowdy just for the shock value and so that they could put Mm -hmm. it on video just to show that they were raising a ruckus or whatever. And that's the sucky part, right? That you do have to deal with that type of person during these types of events because it is just limited to that group of people. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, hopefully it wasn't like that the whole time. It's sad that you had to go through it. I saw a handful of videos from a lot of the YouTubers that I I tend to watch. And it didn't look like they had those types of experiences. But then again, maybe they wrote it several times and they just happened to show us the one where they didn't get that. Sure. Right. So it's always difficult to tell with editing. Uh, I hope that the overall experience wasn't as cruddy as it was for you that day. And I'm Mm -hmm. sad about that. Um, But I don't know. I think outside of that, I still may have done the 300 bucks. I think you would have definitely enjoyed it. I I think you would have gotten all of that that you described out of it. And I think it would have been, you know, something that you would definitely feel like you got your money's worth from. Yeah, yeah. um, Because, you know, all of those exclusive entertainment offerings that were there. Because you could have just, like you said, just stood right there at the the point of the Rivers of America and you could have seen everything because the Cadaver Dance would have been right behind you. The big show on Fantasmic Stage was right in front of you. The parade would have gone right by you and then you can just jaunt over to the mansion. Yeah. Like that that would have been the greatest thing. But like going into it, like you don't know how all of this is going to work. Right. You know? So like yeah. right. a lot of times we were catching the end of things as they were happening because it's like you've only got three hours you're trying to bounce around and it's like it, it it was it was difficult yeah and and some of the stuff felt like it was pretty scattered because it was critter country new orleans squares yep. Frontierland, and so they had like the bride photo op all the way in front of big thunder mountain and then they had the scarolers singing on top of the mark twain kind of going around the rivers which i thought was super cool as well yeah that was awesome so i mean yeah 
uh, overall, personally, had I spent the 300 bucks, I don't think that I would have felt like I didn't get $300 worth out of it unless right. my night was so filled with erratic behavior that I would have just wanted to turn around and just been like, seriously, just shut up already. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> uh, so anyhow, uh, the merchandise that you were talking about, I don't know how much of it was super exclusive to the actual event that you were a part of, but I received a message from our buddy Jason, who works over at Arriba's Brothers at Walt Disney World. He asked me if I could get him the 50th anniversary mansion ears. I thought... Uh, they were super cool, right? Because they had the gold ears, they had like the purple mm -hmm. lining, and they had the emblem that said 50 year anniversary mm -hmm. with the Haunted mm -hmm. Mansion. And it looks like the plaque that's in front of the mansion. Uh, yep. I had the most difficult time trying to get these ears because every time that I went to Port Royal or the little kiosk that was just outside of the mansion to the left, they said, oh, we don't have those. We're out of stock. Oh, we don't have them. We're out of stock. You might want to check Port Royal. And Port Royal had like a 45-minute line just to go in to see the merchandise. Yep. This was a constant from about Thursday until about Sunday. And this was when people were trying to get the popcorn buckets, the Ezra sipper, the Gus beignet uh, little thing that they had. And I think uh, they were putting these items out uh, throughout the day so that people wouldn't buy a whole bunch of them and then they wouldn't have any for people to buy later in the afternoon. Yeah, This was on Friday, by the way, when I had gone. They told me that they were going to have more ears the next day. I went the next day because, remember, Chalk Walk was that Sunday. Okay, so I went Saturday after I picked up our chalk credentials so that I could try to get these ears again for him. And I couldn't get them. They were out of the Funkos. They were out of all the good stuff, in my opinion. But they kept trying to sell me this fanny pack. They're like, you need this fanny pack. I was like, no, <laughs> I don't. Okay. So then we went back on Sunday. I was able to get a Madame Leota Funko. And thankfully... I was able to find nice. a set of the ears for Jason. I was actually able to get a couple more than the ones that Jason wanted me to send to him. And the reason that I ended up purchasing a couple more is because, one, I think you guys know that I'm not big on the mouse ears. I own a couple of mouse ears, but these, I had to own these. There was something about <laughs> these that I just thought, okay, look. Mansion, 50th, these, I need these in my life. And so I bought some for me. It's not like me to buy mouse ears, but I needed these in my life. Mm -hmm. The other ones that I have, I want to use them as one of our auctions for our upcoming fundraising efforts for Sweet. our next event. Because they've been so limited and because they've been so difficult to come by, I figured that it would be a really great piece to help us raise money. In case you guys are wondering, the next event that we're going to be doing is the Walk for Hope in November to benefit cancer research for City of Hope. And uh, in case you guys don't know, uh, I do work there. So just to lay it all out on the table, I do work there. But I do believe in the mission of the organization. I'm, I'm going to be talking about this more in a separate, probably a video that I'm going to post. I don't know exactly or in an upcoming episode. So hold off for that. We'll talk about that uh, in, in an upcoming video or podcast. But I got the ears. I want to auction them off. And I did get a Leota for myself. 
and I might be willing to auction off the Leota as well because <laughs> it's super cool. It actually glows in the dark. And so, yeah, it's in a little crystal ball and it glows in the dark and it's just one nice. of the cutest freaking Funkos I've ever seen. So Very cool. uh, keep an eye out for those. Overall, it was difficult to find them, but when I finally did, it was super nice. I got the Ezra Sipper because mm-hmm. originally I thought about collecting all three of them, but they came in at just about $65 for all three. And I thought... I'm never going to use these for anything other than displaying them. And yeah. I bought Ezra because Ezra is my favorite hitchhiking ghost of the three of them. Is he the tall, skinny one? He's the tall, skinny mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because uh, he looks like me, huh? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually considering taking it back for a refund at this point because, what? yeah, I mean, I feel like if I put them on display, it'll look cool. But without the other two ghosts, it just feels incomplete, right? Aww. And I don't feel like dropping another 45 bucks on the other two. So yeah. I just thought I'm either going to sell it to somebody who's missing it just for the price that I paid for it. I'm not going to try to make a profit off of it or anything. Uh, yeah. Or I'm just going to take it back to Disneyland and try to get a refund because nice. – I don't know. It's nice, though. They all hook up to each other and, you know, they all kind of sing together or talk together because they have a button or they light up together, rather. Mm. I just thought it was it was cool. But without the other two, you know, it's not the same. Nice. Ah, man. Adventures in the Haunted Mansion. Adventures. It's crazy. Hey, you know, speaking of events, let me ask you guys a quick question, because this last week, Disney made this really interesting announcement about the Mickey's Halloween party at Walt Disney World. And, you know, Mickey's Halloween party or uh, the the Halloween party that we have here over there at Walt Disney World, it's Boo to You or what is it called again? The yeah. party's not Mickey's so scary, not, so not so scary Halloween party. Yeah, yeah. I always forget. My, I think our, Boo to our, you is just like their motto for the Halloween is. season, isn't it, right? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, okay, our yeah. friend Jesse always calls me out on this because I can never get it right. But yes, <laughs> not so scary at Walt Disney World, Mickey's Halloween party here at Disneyland. You know, the tickets range anywhere from $72, I believe, to 130 ish And at Walt Disney World, they introduced a season pass for Mickey's not so scary Halloween party. What? And so yeah, so for $299, you oh. have access to 35 out of the 36 nights. Except Halloween, that's the only night that you don't have access to. That's worth it. Okay, so I want this. Okay, I I'm glad you guys are saying this because at first when I thought about it, it I saw it from a different perspective, right? I kind of saw it mm-hmm. from your get out of my mansion standpoint from earlier, Gavin, where sure. if you're paying a specific amount of money to go on this night, you're trying to have a good time. I mean, what are you going to do outside of collecting 35 bags of candy that you can barely carry to your car, you know, and watching that little parade for three hours? Well, the answer for you is you're finally going to get that Halloween blog you've been trying to get for years. Right. <laughs> Except it's at Walt Disney World, so I'd also need a flight. <laughs> well, no, if they brought it here is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, look, in all fairness, I did put the parade up. The Frightfully Fun Parade is up on the YouTube channel from the time nice. that we did get a chance to go. And I posted the cadaver dance. But, yes, oh, cool. I've never done a full vlog of right. Mickey's Halloween party. Right. But 
I mean, you guys are actually excited. Like, is this something you would actually do if they brought it to Disneyland? Of course. You're talking to someone who lives, eats, and breathes Halloween. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> or, you know, they've, they've created, like, the Max Pass add-on for the annual passes. Maybe if they did, like, a holiday add-on for another, like, 200 bucks, you could get all the holiday parties. Um, oh, my gosh. You know, I, I, think, I think that would be awesome. I don't know if they need to do that i don't i don't know if you know here those parties are prime time like the halloween season is like halloween through christmas is the busiest time yeah. of year at disneyland so i don't think they really need to do that here it kind of makes sense that you don't have a huge uh local audience out there that they would want to you know try and beef up attendance at a lot of their parties uh, for merchandise sales and food sales. Yeah. But uh, I'd, I'd probably be first in line for a season of Halloween past. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd so you, camp out. <laughs> you would camp out for this, Mel? Oh, yeah. If I could get a pass? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. I. It would be awesome. <laughs> you know, this year, was, it was interesting because we... I actually considered going to the Halloween party again this year, primarily because of the change of venue. You know, yeah. getting we've already kind of seen it at Disneyland. We already kind of know what goes on there. And it doesn't change all that much from year to year. You know, the right. big thing for most people is leaving with, you know, 17 pounds of candy at the end of the night. And I, I think this year, because of the fact that they've moved it over to California Adventure, there's a lot of potential of having a lot more experiences and making it feel a little more adult, especially with the addition of the World of Color show that they're going to be having as part of the event this time. Mm. Um, Wait, can I can I pause you right there? Yeah. Did they move it or they just add it? No, they moved it. They moved so it they're th not doing Mickey's Halloween Party at Disneyland? No. <laughs> They've completely oh, moved it over to California Adventure. I thought Adventure. it sold out and I missed it. Mm -mm. No. Oh. But we get to have There's Halloween screams. Still tickets left for that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. I was completely mistaken. I thought they were still doing it like normal. Yeah. No, they they moved it over. Okay, I'm going to have to get a ticket for Oogie Boogie Bash then. Yeah, that we've actually been considering it. And I've, mm -hmm. I've actually wanted to go, but some of the cheaper nights, unfortunately, are already sold out. That is sure, sold out. Sure. The more expensive yeah. ones are still available. Yeah. And one of the things that interests me the most about this move is that if people tend to like it because it, it does feel like a little more open park you know there's a little bit more area they're going to have the area with the villains that you can get like the villains trail or something like that i feel like this might be the first step of finally having like a kids version of the halloween party at disneyland and a much spookier hong kong disney experience that we've been just wanting here right? with a halloween town something right like there's so <laughs> many amazing experiences that they have at some of the other disney parks like oh, yeah. this gruesome maze type stuff that they've done uh, at other Disney parks, I think would be so successful here, especially considering you have some things like Halloween Horror Nights and um, the Not Scary Farm just down the road from Disneyland. I think that Disney fans that want to 
that that like that type of experience would love to have it in a Disney forum, right? So yeah. If yeah. this is their way of kind of testing how people like the merge to DCA, I hope that it's just a stepping point for them to start bringing in some of those other experiences. Sure. What's really cool is that it's actually technically coming back to DCA because that's when it first started. Right. So, and it really? used to be bare <laughs> bones. Yeah. I did not know that. That's before I mean, like... my uh, adult days of uh, returning <laughs> to the park. Yeah. Interesting. So already it's going to be amazing. I already know it because yeah. I huh. remember there was just like a few stops and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. It was nothing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I plus, think I have to get a ticket for this. Plus, I think uh, they saw big potential in the adults going in and being able to sell alcoholic beverages while the kids trick or treat. So cheers to that. that. You know, I think there's a lot of potential there as well. So (laughs) that's what I'm saying. If they bring some of these other, uh, some of these other things, plus they have, hopefully they do monsters after dark at mission breakout. Oh yeah. So popular. They bring that back. And I mean, think about it. Once the Marvel area is open, what if you had like an Ultron experience or something like there's just so much that you can do once the Marvel (laughs) property comes in. You have know? like a Loki Hall of Mirrors. Yes. <laughs> so much that you can do. So anyhow, again, oh, I hope that this is a stepping stone to something much bigger. And if it's not yet, you heard it here first. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Well, oh, man. So good. Just thank you for that report. <laughs> I, I was so excited when you told me that you were going to be going to this because – uh, I mean, you you guys know we love the mansion. And so uh, oh, yeah. I, I wasn't able to attend this event, but I'm glad that through these YouTube videos and through Gavin, I was able to experience everything that happened at the event. So if you guys have any comments or you did get a chance to attend the event, join the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Let us know what you thought and let us know how you felt. And if you were like, get out of my stretching room, you know, half the <laughs> night on, or whether you went on night one or night two and what the differences were. We'd love to hear your thoughts and we can share them in an upcoming episode. Um, before we continue, a couple things. Uh, I do want to follow up on something. Remember we talked about the Funko cereal? Yeah. Okay. So on Twitter, we received a message from our pal Joey over at the Disney Universe podcast. And he says, hey, guys, catching up on 268. Heads up. The Funko cereal is god awful, no matter what flavor (laughs) or color. So I think you were right. It is dirt or uh, worms or whatever we said it was going to taste like. Uh, I'm pretty sure that it was possibly just like colored Cheerios or something at this point. But not that Cheerios are bad. I actually like Cheerios. (laughs) But I was kind of sad to hear it because I thought they would have some like Apple Jacksy flavor. You know, something to kind of offset the fact that it's a different color than normal cereal. Except maybe green because Apple Jacks are green. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe chocolate for Ursula. I don't know. I just I was a little upset to hear that. So I just wanted to follow up on that. 
And of course, before we continue this episode, I do need to send a special shout out to a special group of people because without them, these episodes of Podcateers would not be possible. And that is the FGP squad. The FGP wow, wow, squad wow, wow. is this awesome group of folks that help us out with a monthly contribution via Patreon. If you would like more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad, you can head over to podcateers.com slash FGP for more information. Being a part of the FGP FGP squad gets you a snazzy FGP button. It also allows you to access additional content, special live streams, be a part of some giveaways that we have throughout the year. So again, more information over at podcateers.com slash FGP if you are interested. And you can either give a one-time donation or you can set up a monthly donation. So to everyone that is a part of the FGP squad, we just want to send a huge thank you for your support. Uh, okay, I think it's time for our main topic. I think we got a little excited and carried away with this mansion-y and Halloween-y goodness. But in this episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the films that have been very influential as part of the Disney catalog. And those are the true life adventure films. And so Gavin's going to give us a little information on those, the history, the influence that the films have brought throughout the cinematic scope of the universe and to Disney fans in general. So let's do this, man. It's time for story time, kids. (laughs) Uh, Like Hazen mentioned, today we're going to be talking about Disney's true life adventures. So... Did you know that Walt Disney invented the nature documentary? What? No. It's true. Dun, dun, dun. What, we, what we know as the nature film today was dreamed up and made a reality by Walt and a group of dedicated filmmakers over 70 years ago. Uh, a few years before the very first True Life Adventure film came out in 1948, Walt was actually quoted as saying, It is not visionary or presumptuous for us to anticipate the use of our own medium in the curriculum of every schoolroom in the world. And for many of us that grew up in the decades since then, this was actually a reality. I myself watched many True Life Adventure films in school as a kid, and I'm sure you guys did too. Eh, no. Not really. <laughs> Maybe it was not a California thing. <laughs> or maybe I'm that much older. Uh, <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> in any case, uh, the key players in this series are names that are largely unsung. Um, you know, to most of us, these are not, you know, the icons of Disney that we think of when we think of animation or even most of the live action movies. So uh, guys like James Algar, Winston Hibbler, and Ben Sharpstein, these were the three guys that edited all of the films, wrote the storylines, and even provided the narration for them. The cameras were manned by Alfred and Elma Milot, Herb and Lois Chrysler, Robert Crandall and Paul Kenworthy, and a smattering of others. Uh, The music for all of the films was provided by either Oliver Wallace or Paul Smith. And uh, basically, these are the names of the the people involved in these groundbreaking 
really industry changing films that happened over the course of about 12 years. Um, and it's really interesting to me that these are not more well-known names. Uh, in the course of the, this film franchise, they made 13 films and won eight Academy Awards for those films. Wow. So incredible wow. track record of success. It all began with Seal Island in 1948. Uh, a little, a couple years ahead of that, Walt commissioned Alfred and Elma Milot to shoot footage of the Alaskan wilderness and its culture. Uh, once Walt saw the initial footage they shot, he zeroed in on the segments about the seal populations in that area and told them to focus solely on that and forget about filming people and places. They spent more than a year shooting over 100,000 feet of film. What they brought back became the foundation for the film and the beginning of a new idea Walt cooked up called the True Life Adventures. The roots of this idea probably date back to the days of Bambi, when the production required that live animals be brought into the studio for study by the artists. I know that we've all seen footage of... Mm -hmm the animators especially during lion king when they brought in like lions yeah. and gazelle and all those yeah. african animals well that's a tradition that goes all the way back to bambi when they first realized that just imagining characters to draw like they did in snow white wasn't quite up to snuff as far as walt was concerned so that's when they brought in live animals wow. uh, so that was kind of the roots of this idea um, it further developed in Walt's mind as his personal concerns about the vanishing frontiers and wildernesses in the world grew. In his own way, he was a conservationist, and the true life adventures became his way of raising awareness and a caring attitude towards the wonders of nature and the living things we share the world with. Uh, it, it's true whenever you hear Walt speak of you know the world that he always exhibits a wonder and respect for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the world at large, but specifically nature and, yeah. and the things in it. So it makes sense. Now, the True Life Adventures were not documentaries in the purest sense. Disney, of course, imbued them with a sense of story and character because entertainment was the priority. The animals were given emotions and it was all accentuated by a dramatic musical score. They employed many techniques, some of which have been criticized in later years, but were certainly effective in entertaining audiences. One such criticism is that of the infamous mass lemming suicide scene in White Wilderness, which is completely staged and helped spread and perpetuate the false myth that this is a natural lemming behavior when they become overpopulated. So the idea that lemmings like freely of their own volition will just jump off cliffs in order to save their society or whatever. Uh, basically was made up by uh, some Disney wow. filmmakers back in the fifties <laughs> and uh, popular yeah. video games came <laughs> after. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. But you know, uh, despite that, uh, the, these films were, were such a new concept, you know, they, they brought to the world, they presented to the world, a new thing. And they were such a new concept that many people actually struggled to reconcile the morality of some of the scenes they presented. Uh, so places like New York 
um, actually banned the film The Vanishing Prairie. And this is because it actually shows a scene of a buffalo giving birth. Uh, and, and they felt that was too controversial about it. Walt is quoted as saying the birth scene would never have appeared on screen. If I believed it might offend an audience, it would be a shame if New York children had to believe the stork brings buffaloes too. (laughs) (laughs) classic, classic Midwestern Walt right there. Oh my God. That is like, that's classic high scale snark that yeah it's, it's totally walt you gotta love it <laughs> despite the detractors though these films were a sensation and turned out to be one of the most critically successful film series of all time they inspired a series of books a comic strip and a tangential film series known as the true life fantasies so before i continue on i did want to kind of list the filmography of True Life Adventures. Um, so, so here are all 13 films in order. So 1948, we have Seal Island. 1950, we have In Beaver Valley. 1951, Nature's Half Acre. 1952, we had both The Olympic Elk and The Waterbirds. In 1953, they came out with three of these films. The first one, Bear Country. Note that one for later. Prowlers of the Everglades and the Living Desert. Note that one later. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1954, we have the Vanishing Prairie. Note that one later. And in 1955, (laughs) the African Lion, which um, the Malots filmed again. And they filmed that one for almost two years and created a truly immense amount of film of which... Only 6% was used for the film. Um, so what? It, it, it's a great example of how this type of filming, even today, takes vast amounts of time and footage before they can get what they need to carve into one of these, you know, hour long or, or two hour long specials that we're used to. Uh, 1956 brought us Secrets of, the, of Life. 1958, White Wilderness with the Lemming Suicide. And then 1960, The Jungle Cat. And that is the last of the original True Life Adventure films. So, what they did was they influenced not only the culture at large, but the internal Disney culture. And, of course, they had a huge influence on Disneyland itself. Adventureland, you may not know, was originally conceived as True Life Adventureland. And it was supposed to include a real jungle animals exhibit. The films The Living Desert and The Vanishing Prairie figure largely into the designs, theming, and storytelling of the original version of Frontierland. Later on, of course, uh, when they expanded with Bear Country, that draws a lot of its original inspiration from the film of the same name. Films also influenced the insertion of the Grand Canyon diorama into the Disneyland Railroad attraction in 1958. So roughly by my estimation, one third of the original park was birthed either directly or indirectly out of the True Life Adventure film series which is a huge fingerprint that not a lot of people recognize. 
even in more recent years, we can see the influence of these films on the Disney parks as their cultural impact on the company and its fandom expand. Most Disneyland-style parks around the world have both an Adventureland and a Frontierland, or their likeness. Uh, Animal Kingdom and Walt Disney World was largely the final realization of the original true-life Adventureland conceived back in the early 50s. Before that park opened, you could actually visit Discovery Island in Walt Disney World, which was the home to many exotic animals from 1974 to 1998. And even just across the Esplanade in DCA at the Smoke Jumpers Grill, you can view several film posters from the True Life Adventure series. So, little nod over there at Grizzly Peak Airfield. That's I'm going to awesome. have to look. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Disney has reinvented the True Life Adventure films for new audiences with a contemporary franchise called Disney Nature, which began in 2008. These new films typically open annually on Earth Day, and a percentage of the opening weekend gross is donated to a wildlife conservation fund. They continue the original spirit of Walt's concept with story and drama and humor and music combined with cutting-edge film technology for truly magnificent movies. I, for one, will never forget going to the theater to see, um, what is it called, Disney African Cats? Uh, mm-hmm. which was about lions and cheetahs. And I've seen nature films all my life, you know, on TV. But watching a cheetah pursue a gazelle on a big screen was a truly moving experience. It's like, kind it of life-changing. Yeah. Insane. So I love the Disney nature franchise. I think it's fantastic. It's a wonderful continuation of Walt's original uh, idea for this uh, type of filmmaking because they still give it, you know, that story. They still include, you know, so much drama. Yeah. And I, I just think it's really cool. And, you know, these films really influenced national geographic and all of the old mutual of omaha nature specials we would see on tv you know they kind of created a genre and it's interesting that i don't think a lot of people realize today how much that credit goes to the walt disney studios you know they don't think of disney as a nature filmmaking company you know uh and i think it's kind of appropriate now that um nat geo is part of the disney brand of entertainment offerings and i'm actually going to be going to see the nat geo panel at the expo this coming weekend so i'm really excited to see that uh so kids that's the story and legacy of disney's true life adventure films Dude, that is so freaking cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't remember ever watching the original Disney Nature films, but I know that when they did the rebrand back in 2007, I think, right? That was the when... 2008. 2008. 
uh, when they did the rebrand, uh, I know that that's when I was interested in it. And I ended up watching Oceans, and I ended up mm. watching The Crimson Wing, Mystery of the Flamingos, which, yeah. by the way, has one of the most gorgeous film scores ever. And The Arrival of the Birds by the Cinematic Orchestra is one of my absolute <laughs> favorite pieces musically of that's all awesome. freaking time. It's nice. just gorgeous. And Don Hahn who we know uh, as part of a lot of Disney properties, you know, he's worked on Maleficent and Atlantis, Fantasia 2000, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like he's involved in these Disney nature films as well. You know, he's worked Mm -hmm. on chimpanzees. He worked on African cats. uh, He worked on oceans as well. And I mean, he's been a really big part of this new nature series and and the documentaries that have been out. And that -hmm. just makes me so excited. You know, so if Don Hahn ever has the opportunity to come on here and chat with us, that is certainly one thing I'd love to speak with him about. And just the hours and hours of patience it takes to get the footage that you anticipate or hope you get when you're filming these types of documentaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I'm going to be the first to admit I didn't recognize the name when you said True Life. I'm like, wait what and then you started (laughs) describing i'm like oh wait no yes i do understand what this is and to hear the history and to hear how it's a full circle with nat geo it's really awesome and i actually own a copy of the crimson wing because that's my favorite magical animal in the whole entire world (laughs) so i mean just hearing all this and and just listening and like this is so cool and i'm gonna say it again and again and again i keep learning new stuff so (laughs) that's what's cool about this uh this format we've adopted this year is that Mm -hmm. at least one of us learns something on every single episode yeah (laughs) yeah and we hope that the listeners are learning something as well right because oh, heck yeah. I, I love talking about the parks and I love talking about what's going on. But uh, I, I think we've talked about this before, right? That our, our Disney fandoms always start at different points in our lives. And some Disney fandoms run deep into childhood for some people. And some are barely blossoming, you know, because a yeah. month ago they just happened to visit the parks and something sparked that interest. And so these... Uh, episodes and these segments give us an opportunity to allow people behind the curtain and to see a little backstage and to learn Mm -hmm. a little bit more about the history of the parks as we're learning you know we've Mm -hmm. we've never said that we're disney historians but we're avid fans and we love to learn about the parks and everything that goes into the building of the parks the building of the productions and you know this is just a part of the disney history and we love it this was an awesome segment dude i love it yeah thanks i had fun reading about it and remembering a lot of the films that i saw as a kid um yeah, the, it's it's a cool, cool legacy, and it has affected, you know, most parts of the company. So I, I just think it's really cool. Yeah. 
So let me lay the question out for everybody listening right now. If you've seen the original or any of the original Disney Nature, the True Life Adventure documentaries, uh, join the conversation and tell us which one you've seen or which one your favorite is. And if you've seen any of the new Disney Nature documentaries, leave a comment for that as well. You can join the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. We'd love to hear your thoughts and share them in an upcoming episode. Uh, FYI, my answer to that is The Living Desert. That's my favorite one. It's really good. I got to watch them. And see, I think this is going to be the beautiful thing about Disney+. Plus. When these all land yes. on Disney+, Plus, it'll give us the opportunity to watch them and to just relive them if you've seen them in the past. So I'm super excited about this. I still cool. can't get over that buffalo coming. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Walt Disney, man, he was such a jokester. <laughs> like some people just tend to see Walt as as this pristine and just, you know, serious guy, but he was just a jokester yeah. at heart. You know, he oh, yeah. had some quips that just ah like I wish I thought <laughs> he of that. He was Mickey Mouse in the twenties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very much so. <laughs> Very much so. All right. I think that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. Do we have any closing thoughts before we wrap up today? I wanted to throw out one thing uh, before we wrap up. Uh, I just wanted to mention uh, the unfortunate passing of Richard Williams. Oh, yeah. Um, He Mm -hmm. uh, passed away this week. And for those of you who may not know who that is, Richard Williams is a legendary animator and director. And he actually was the animation director of what I consider the most underrated Disney film and one of the most underrated animated films of all time. And that is who framed Roger rabbit. It's one that misses out on a lot of lists because it's half live action, half animation, but it's 100% genius. And for anybody who hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it in a long time, do yourself a favor and give yourself the gift of viewing that movie because it is a treasure and we have Richard Williams to thank for that. And so yep. hats off to Richard. Rest in peace. Very well said. Very well said. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. So if you guys have any questions or comments, again, join us on any of our social networks. You can leave a comment there for us. Uh, over on the YouTube channel, in case you missed it, I recently posted the Chalk Walk vlog. Again, to everybody that participated and helped us reach our goal, thank you so very much. Uh, another video is going to be coming up soon about that. I don't know if I'm going to put it on Instagram or on IGTV or something. If I'm going to do a live stream, I don't know yet, but I did want to talk about chalk walk, how that went. And I'm going to talk about our next event. So stay tuned for that. Uh, congrats to you guys, by the way, you get, it was a little team this year, but you guys did great work. I'm very Thank proud you. of you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate that. Um, and that's it. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. So, Until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Bye. Major luck.